Our Father, we do thank you for your overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love that that is so gracious that, that while we were yet sinners, you sent Jesus into this world to die for us so that we could be reconciled with you, so that we could be redeemed. And then you don't leave us just, just in, our, in, our, in our basic safe state after you bring us to Christ. But then you want to transform us, and we thank you for that love that you demonstrate as well. And Lord, we thank you that your love even compelled you to give us your words in writing. That we have the Bible that we can learn from. And I think of the, the verse that the, the students learned in the Ignite Children's Ministry this week. Um, just about how all scriptures God breathed is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that we may be thoroughly equipped for every good work that you call us to. And Lord, I pray that today as we open Scripture together, you will do your teaching, rebuking work in our lives, that you will do a correcting and training work as well so that we will be better and better equipped to live the lives that you are calling us to live. So please teach us and guide us right now. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning I have up here... My wife's bicycle. It's her bicycle. But let me show you. There's a little bit of a problem with her bicycle. Watch what happens when I spin the wheel. You know, back tires of bicycles, when you spin the pedals, they should spin for a long time. But, I mean, this thing doesn't really want to spin very much, does it? And that's a problem. And if you know much about bicycles, you can probably diagnose that this problem is that the brake pads are rubbing against the wheel, preventing it from being able to spin freely. And ideally, on a bicycle, you have efficiency, you have low friction, so that the tire can spin very freely. And if you've never ridden a bicycle like this with a brake pad that's constantly rubbing on the wheel, you can probably imagine how it would go. You know what? You can power a bike like this Ford, because, I mean, the, the wheel still spins a little bit. You can power it forward, but not with the same speed, not for the same distance that you could if the bike is running efficiently. And so, so we have this bike that has a little bit of a problem that holds it back a bit. And I'm a person who enjoys bicycling, and I know quite a bit about how to repair bikes. And so for me, as a loving husband, what do you think I should do if my wife's bike is broken like this. Yeah, you'd fix it. Now, this is a super easy fix, because all it is is there's a wooden peg that I stuck into the brake lever for sake of illustration today. And so now, watch this. You take out that peg, you get the brake pads to stop um, sitting on the wheel. You just spin it a little bit. It spins very nicely, as a bike should. But that's, that's a picture of what happens when you get something on the, in, in that wheel that, that, that breaks it, that keeps it from moving efficiently. You know, it's not working as it should, so you need to do a work to repair it, to, to get it back to the way it's supposed to run. And I think about our lives. I mean, this is, we're not talking about bicycles today. We're talking about our relationship with God and how we can grow closer to Him. And, and I think that's a good picture of what oftentimes happens in our lives where in our lives we get things lodged and stuck in our lives that really should not be there, but they slow us down. They prevent us from living as efficiently or as effectively as God wants us to live. Or, or there, there are things in our lives that get out of adjustment, whether it's morally or spiritually or with our attitudes. And again, they prevent us from being as fruitful 
as we could for the sake of God and just in our general day-to-day lives. Last week we talked about how Jesus expects us to bear fruit for his glory. Fruit of Christ-like character, fruit of, of ministry effectiveness. And today we're talking about the work that God does in our lives when we are not as fruitful as we ought to be. When we have those things that are stuck or misadjusted in our lives, how does God help us and repair us so that we become more fruitful for his sake? That's what we're looking at today. So I invite you to turn your Bibles to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. I said earlier that, you know, as a loving husband, the right thing for me to do when my wife's bike is broken is to make sure that it gets fixed. That's a loving thing to do. Now think about God. The Bible describes God as a loving heavenly father. And when he looks at us and he recognizes that, you know what, we're kind of broken. We, we are messed up. We aren't running as efficiently as we ought to. I'm so thankful that God doesn't just say, oh, that's too bad. No, no, he's driven by this deep love, as we just sang, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God that pursues us. And then when he grabs a hold of us, he doesn't just leave us as we are, but he wants to reshape us and transform us so that we're able to live the type of life that he designed us to live in the first place. And here in John 15, we see how he does that. So let me read for us John 15. I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 8. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples." So this is a passage that, that we're looking at for four straight weeks here. And each week we're looking at it from a different angle. And today we're looking at the topic of how God the Father is like a vine dresser. Now you may be wondering, what is a vine dresser? And you can probably figure it out, but, but let me give you some background. Back in ancient Israel and even still today, there are lots of vineyards. And a vineyard is a place where you grow vines for grapes. And, and we have to understand that a grapevine growing out in nature that's growing all by itself, on its own, with no one tending to it, is not nearly as fruitful as it could be as if, as if, uh, if a vine dresser comes along and helps that vine along. Because on its own, the grapevine grows too much vegetation, too many leaves, too many extra branches. They, they sap so much energy from the plant that the grapes end up being small, not as sweet, not as juicy. And so in order to maximize the production of healthy, mature, tasty grapes, it requires a vine dresser, a type of gardener who comes along and closely examines the plant, identifies which branches are going to be the most fruitful, and then cuts off, prunes those branches that are too small or that are going to be less fruitful. And the reason he or she does this 
is to allow the plant to dedicate more of its energy to the branches that will bear tasty, mature, healthy fruit. So that is the work of a vine dresser pruning a grapevine. And that is the analogy that Jesus draws right here when he says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. And so what we see in this passage is that God the Father, he is pruning us to make us fruitful. That is his goal in the work that he's doing in our lives is to make us fruitful in terms of growing in character, growing in effective ministry, living the type of life that he calls us to live. He wants us to be fruitful because we have to understand that when a person comes to be a Christian, their life has a lot of parts of it that are not aligned with God's will. And it's fine. That's fine. People don't have to clean up their lives before they come to Christ. But in order to bear the type of fruit that God wants in terms of character development, in terms of ministry effectiveness, God needs to prune us to help us to be more fruitful. And here in this passage, especially in verse 2, we see two different types of pruning that can take place. First of all, Jesus says, Every branch that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Now this can be a little bit confusing, maybe a little bit uncomfortable, especially when you pair it with verse 6. That similarly says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. And so when you combine the first half of verse 2 with verse 6, it causes some Christians to ask, well, does this mean that if I don't bear enough fruit for Jesus that he's going to send me to hell? It's a legitimate question that we could draw from this. Now let me make two comments on this before we move on. First of all, we have to understand that the way we receive salvation, the way we are reconciled in our relationship with God, is only through faith in Christ, not by what we do. But we also have to understand that this true saving faith, it will have an effect in our lives. There will be the result of some sort of fruit being born in our lives. I think of theologian John Calvin, who lived and wrote hundreds of years ago, but what he said is so profound. When he said that, that faith alone saves, but saving faith is never alone. Faith alone saves, but saving faith is never alone. Meaning that, that true saving faith will result in life change. And so what this means is that if we examine our lives and we determine that, you know, over a course of months or years after we claim to be a Christian, there really is nothing that's changed in our life. There's no evidence of fruit, especially in terms of character development and greater love for Jesus, it's caused to ask, are we really a Christian? And, and if we are wondering about that, it's, it's a good reason to, you know what, commit ourselves to Christ wholeheartedly at that point through faith and repentance. And so, so we have to understand that, that true Christians will bear fruit. Looks different in different people's lives, but that, that is the case. They will bear fruit. Now, a second comment about this before we move on is that once a person is truly a Christian, nothing can separate them from God. I think, for instance, of words that Jesus spoke just a few chapters earlier in John chapter 10, verses 27 through 29. And Jesus here is using another metaphor, one of sheep and shepherds. And he says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. 
My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. And so we, here we see uh, just kind of a little illustration Jesus is using, saying, okay, when a person comes to faith in Christ, it's kind of like Jesus holds them safely in his hand. And then he says, his heavenly Father on top of that, who's greater than all, he also, the heavenly Father, wraps his hand around us as well and says, you know what, you all are safe. So once a person is truly a Christian, nothing can separate them from God. And so that, those are a couple of comments on these two verses that can be a little bit troubling. That's one aspect of pruning is taking away the branches that aren't bearing any fruit. But there's another aspect of pruning that Jesus points to here when he says that every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may be more fruitful. So remember, this is why God prunes us, is to make us more fruitful so we can bear more fruit. And, you know, the idea of pruning, though, I think it's an apt illustration because you think about pruning. If, if, if you know, grapevines or other types of plants had feelings and had emotions and, and had personalities, they would probably say, you know what, pruning kind of hurts because you're cutting something off that was there and was alive. It hurts a little bit. And it's the same for us, that when God prunes us, it's frequently not comfortable. It's not fun. It's not easy. But it's vital for our growth and our fruitfulness. I think, for instance, back when I was in college, I transferred from a school in Missouri to a school in Minnesota for my final two years of college. And those first two months that I was there were hard. Things were going well in my ministry on campus. But in terms of my personal sense of identity and significance, I was struggling. Because here I was, I moved eight hours away from my family and my friends. And up to that point, as I look back on that time, I had looked to things like my truck, and athletics, and, um, and my friends, and my appearance as my source of identity and significance in life. And now I had been a Christian for a couple of years, but those things were still functionally where I was looking for that sense of identity. And over the course of my first two months in Minnesota, remember, far removed from family and friends and everything I'd known before, God was taking me through this series of events that were incredibly difficult and very, very humbling. And it was as if God was stripping away everything they had previously depended on for my sense of identity and significance. And it hurt. It was not fun at all. I remember one time sitting at my kitchen table in my apartment in tears. Now, for some people, you can shed tears over a commercial. For me... Uh, being a, a thinker, I don't shed tears much at all. So that's a big deal when I'm shedding tears. I remember other times I was very, very angry. Other times that I was just deeply embarrassed at what was going on. And it was just a very humbling, very difficult time. And finally, after a couple months, if I could have changed things and made them instantly better, I would have. But I couldn't. I tried. But it was hard. And so finally, after a couple months, I remember sitting again at that kitchen table. This was not the time in tears. But I had my prayer journal on, and I finally just said, God, I'm tired of trying to reestablish my own sense of identity. I surrender to you. And that's pretty much what I wrote out there. Because I knew enough to know that, you know what, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to reestablish that sense of identity, but it's not working. So, God, I surrender to you. It took two months of a lot of hardships and pain to get to that point. But I look back on that, and that was one of the most important times of pruning in my life. 
Because God had to, had to help me release my dependence on my truck and appearance and, and friends and, and, and athletics and stuff like that for my sense of identity so that then I could cling more to him. And I, I would say I would not be the same person I am today, I mean, in the good parts of me, if not for that time. So I'm incredibly thankful for that time. I think that God used that pruning period to help me to be more useful for him and to be more fruitful in in all areas of my life. But it wasn't easy, and it wasn't comfortable, and it was not fun. But it was valuable, and it was important. And that is the role that pruning plays in our lives. And we have to understand that our response to God's pruning work in our lives makes a huge difference. So a key question is how are you responding to God's pruning in your life? How are you responding to God's pruning in your life? Because when we face trials in life and face hardships in life and things we don't like, frequently it drives us one of two directions. Either turns you towards God or pushes you away from Him. And if you approach those difficult trials of life with an attitude of, you know what, I just want to get through this as quickly as possible and um, I don't really care what God's trying to teach me. Or if you try to get through that just on your own strength, not depending on God, if you just kind of harden your heart and think, you know, I don't have anything I need to learn. What's going to happen is the pruning is not going to be fruitful. It's just going to be painful and lead probably to anger and bitterness. But on the other hand, if that pruning of those difficult experiences uh, will lead you to, to really say, God, what do you want me to learn from this? God... I don't know what's going on. I don't like it, but I'm going to trust you. Then the pruning will be fruitful and help us really to become more fruitful in living more in accordance with God's design for us. So the question of how are you responding to God's pruning in your life is a very, very important question. Now, we've been talking about types of pruning that is involuntary, that we would not choose on our own. But there are other types of pruning that we do have more say over that we can control a little bit more. Um, and there are the types of pruning that I'm thinking about where God is prompting us in some way, maybe through a spouse or a friend or a pastor or something you read in Scripture or just, just your conscience, that you realize, you know what, I need to prune that part of my life in order to be more fruitful and live the way God wants me to live. For instance, for me, I have experienced uh, pruning in part of my relationship with bicycling during 2018. If you know me very well at all, you know I I really enjoy bicycling. But one of the things that happened in 2017 was that bicycling basically became an obsession for me. And the reason it was an obsession is I had a very ambitious mileage goal. A goal for each week, a goal for each month, and a goal for the year as a whole. And what happened is I had that ambitious mileage goal that drove me, again, to that point of obsession. When we become obsessed with something, what happens is it really battles for our heart. It becomes an idol or a false god that we are looking to rather than God himself. And I began to realize that. And so here in 2018, I've realized I need to prune the obsessive parts of my bicycling from my life. And largely what that has meant is that, you know what, I need to let go of mileage goals. Because those goals, you know, it might be kind of fun. It wasn't like I was putting on Facebook, hey, I biked this many miles today or this many miles this month. I wasn't doing it for the applause of other people. It was just for my own sense of satisfaction and accomplishment. But 
Right? When you become obsessed with someone, you become a slave to it. And that's essentially what happened for me. And so I realized, you know what? I need to prune those obsessive parts of my bicycle so I have to let go of the mileage goals. It's amazing how freeing that has been for me. How much healthier not only I am, but my relationship with bicycling is. How now? You know what? It's fine if I don't bicycle six days a week. It's fine if I'm tired and I just decide, you know what? I want to sleep in tomorrow. That means I don't bike. That's fine. Perfectly fine. If the weather forecast is rain, I don't need to fret because I don't have a mileage goal I'm pursuing. The reality is I'm biking less than half the distance of what I did last year. But it's so much healthier in every single way. And I was thinking about all the different benefits I got from that part of pruning in my life. And I realized it sounds kind of like an infomercial trying to build something up that you want to buy. But here's, here's the reality of what's changed for me. I sleep better. I have more family time. I enjoy bicycling a whole lot more. I have a healthier relationship with God. And because I pruned the obsessive part from my life, I've been able to also join a, an incredibly valuable pastor's group that meets early in the morning that I could not be a part of last year because I was bicycling. And so, you know, that's voluntary pruning. Where it wasn't like God, I mean, I did have a major bike accident last August, but it wasn't that that drove me away. It wasn't like God ripped it out of my life involuntarily on my part. But it was me recognizing, you know what? In order to be the person God's calling me to be, I need to prune that for my life. And I believe that was God's prompting that he was leading me to. And, and so it begs a question for all of us. And still I have to ask this question to myself. Is what areas of your life is God telling you to prune so that you will be more fruitful for his purposes? What areas of your life need to be pruned? And I know this is relevant for all of us because pruning and growing in fruitfulness is a lifelong process. And I know that, you know, the busyness of our society, most people in this room are, are we're pulled in so many different directions that we may need to prune some things from our schedule just to be able to focus in on what's most important. And we all have those things, those, those barriers that are holding us back, kind of like those breaks in our lives. They are preventing us from being as efficient and as effective for God as we could be. And he wants to prune those things out of our lives. So what are the areas of your life currently that need to be pruned so that you can be more fruitful for God's purposes? Now, as we're talking about this topic of pruning, and again, next week and the following week, we'll get to other aspects of John chapter 15. I think it's kind of interesting how we're focusing up to this point on God's work and making us fruitful as individuals, men and women, and, and, and rightfully so. But this topic of pruning and fruitfulness not only applies to individuals, but it also applies to churches. It really does, because God wants churches to be fruitful as well. And God at times leads churches through pruning processes also to help make churches more fruitful for his purposes. And just like for individuals, for churches, pruning is frequently involuntary. It's something that happens to them that they may not enjoy. It might even be painful but I think of how, you know what, different types of pruning that God can use in churches are, are conflict within the church. Or when there are financial struggles. Or when a particular ministry is, is just going down the tubes. Or when attendance is declining. And these are all circumstances that are not fun and not comfortable. But they can lead a church and lead its leaders 
to reflection and reassessment of what's going on and soul-searching and asking God, God, what do you want to teach us through this? God, are there things we need to change so that we can be more in line with your will? It's a pruning process that God wants to take churches through. But there are also pruning processes for churches that are a bit more proactive and intentional. I mean, think about how earlier I said with grapevines. If they're out in the wild, untended by, by um, a gardener or a vine keeper, what's going to happen is those vines are going to grow so much foliage that, that, that the energy to produce nice, large, tasty, mature grapes is sapped. And the same thing can happen in the church where a church has so much different stuff going on that what ends up happening is that people's attention are pulled in a bunch of different ways and it really prevents the growth of healthy, mature disciples within a church. People might be busy, but the question is, are they truly growing as followers of Jesus? And so that's why it's important for churches to, to regularly examine themselves and ask, are there areas of our ministry that we need to prune to make them more fruitful and effective? That's why one of our core disciple-making values as a church is simplify the structure. Because we recognize that, you know what, your all schedules are busy. We also recognize that not every activity that a church does is equally effective in making disciples. And so what we want to do is help people focus in on what's most important. That we say, you know what, if your time is limited, there are two core disciple-making ministries that we think are most important for you to be involved with for your growth. One is Sunday mornings. The worship service as well as classes. We look at that as one-time chunk, one-time commitment, classes, and worship service. That's one of the core disciple-making ministries of the church that's important to prioritize. The other one is small groups or Bible studies. Smaller groups of people that meet together, study Scripture, and seek to apply it to their lives in a relational context. We think, you know what? If you can only do two things through the course of a week or every other week here at church, those are the two most important things. The other things may need to be trimmed out of your schedule to focus on the things that are going to help you grow the most. And sometimes churches, they look at, at all the activities they have going on and they realize, you know what? We have so much going on and our energy is going to so many different places that we need to do some pruning and that's painful, but we have to prune some of our ministry activities, which may mean ceasing some of the ministry activities that might be fun and enjoyable for people, but they, they are pruned in order to help focus the church's energy and people's attention on the things that are going to be more fruitful. Because we have to be proactive to focus on what's going to be most fruitful. Now, one of the other parts of pruning and, and this whole idea of pruning to make, make the church more fruitful is the whole heart behind the building project. Mike Dow was up here earlier talking about the timeline for the capital campaign, which is basically raising the funds to help, help with this project. But this idea of pruning to make, make the church more fruitful is the heart behind this building project that's coming up, a major renovation as well as some additions to the church as well. Because what we've realized is that the facility is like a break that's holding back our ministry, that we have, you know, we have a lot of good things going on. We have, we have momentum as a church. We have just a lot of great things happening. But at the same time, it's like there is a break that, that we can keep pressing forward, but it takes more energy than it should because we have this break. And one of those breaks is, is some limitations in our facilities that are holding back the fruitfulness of our ministry. Let me give you a couple examples just from this last week. One uh, has to do with, actually a couple of them have to do with classes. 
Last week and this week, I taught a class called God's at War. Last week we met in the church library. We had over 20 people in there last week, and we were packed in there like sardines. If you know anything about the church library here, you know it's not meant for 20 people. More like 8 or 10 is more of an ideal. So we were sitting in there in two concentric circles, which if you know anything about group dynamics, is not how you want people sitting. But you had one circle, you had another circle outside of them, and you had two wheelchairs in that room that were taking up quite a bit of space as well. So we were packed in there, and you saw people kind of poke their head in the door to see, eh. and I said, come on in. And so what ended up happening is you had people basically overflowing through the doorway out into the hall to be a part of this class. And so I talked with Tammy Leonard, who's leading another class that was down in the basement, a slightly better room configuration for a slightly larger group. She had a decent number of people in her class as well, but she was graciously flexible to switch spots for our classes. And so, so my class was able to move downstairs into a room that we had 25 this morning, still absolutely packed, setting up more chairs. I mean, we're, we're packed in there. We also look forward to air conditioning in the renovation. But then Tammy moved upstairs to the library, and I don't know what her attendance was this week, but if it was anything at all like last week, it's more people than can reasonably fit in the library even then, even though it's less than the class I was leading. It's still way less than ideal. These are are real facility limitations that do affect our ministries, and people are not able to to attend the class they want or, or to fit comfortably in the classroom. That makes a real difference. We have no room for growth in most of our adult classes. That is a real limitation to ministry caused by facilities. Now, the high school class also moved this morning. Last week, they had a nice, large room, which is nice for them. Because through the years, high school class has been one of those that just bounces around to whatever's available. So they had a nice, large room, half the youth room. The youth room is the size of the sanctuary. So they had half the youth room, divider in the middle. On the other side of the divider was an adult class. Ideally, you could have two classes in that area at once. We found out last week for sure you can only have one because of sound. There's a divider there, but the way that room functions, Carissa Teller, who is leading our high school class, asked Greg Moslick, who is leading the adult class on the other side of the divider, she asked him during the week, were you using a microphone? And I, I spoke this last Wednesday in our youth group downstairs in that room, and I can tell you there's something about the acoustics of that room that just amplifies the sound, which is great if you have one class in there. Terrible if you have two. And so here we have this class that had to move this week, the high school class, from a space that was very nice for it up into Chris's office, which is a nice cozy space, but there's little to no room for growth in the office. It's not an ideal place for class at all. And here we have this nice, sizable space downstairs on the other side of the divider, but it's unusable space because of the sound issue. The facility limitation is, again, handicapping the fruitfulness of our ministries. And I could go on for another half hour sharing stories about bathrooms that at times are too small, or they cause major problems for anyone in a wheelchair who wants to go to the bathroom while they're here at Freedon's. I could share stories about the ramp outside that does not meet code for wheelchairs or for anything else. meets code for, you know, a, a minor sledding hill. But... You don't want that in the winter for people trying to walk down, much less take a wheelchair down winter or summer. It's unsafe. 
We have limitations uh, that, that affect our ministry in terms of just the nature of, of our front door. It's, it's unwelcoming. It's dark. It's confusing to people. Is that the front door? Is it over here? It makes a real difference in our ministry. Our nursery is another example of, you know what, we have great workers down there. We have a system that, that works sort of, but it's too small for the number of kids we try to care for in there. And on top of that, there's no toilet within the nursery, which creates multiple problems. We have facility limitations that need to be pruned, that need to be addressed. They're basically like breaks on the fruitfulness of our ministry. And we believe that God's calling us to address those things because he wants us to be fruitful and be able to make disciples not only of people who are already here, but of others throughout the community. So that's the real heart behind the building renovation and additions that we have coming up, is wanting to be faithful to God and remove those barriers that are preventing increasingly fruitful ministries. And so, so we have this idea of pruning that God wants us to be fruitful. That's, that's a big key in God's heart as a vine dresser. But I want to just point out two more uh, brief uh, topics from this passage that shows why he is pruning us as individuals and as a church. One reason that he is pruning us and wanting us to be more fruitful is because of his love. The topic of God's love permeates this passage. For instance, verse 9, Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. So we see this idea of the Father's love that is driving everything he does. Every, every aspect of how he relates to us is driven by his love. We see, like over in verse 13, greater love is no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. This is talking about Jesus' sacrificial death on our behalf, driven by love. And the cool thing is that even as God prunes us, which can be uncomfortable, it's done out of love because as we grow more fruitful and more in line with God's design, it brings us greater fulfillment and greater joy in our lives. This is why Jesus said in verse 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. God is a joyful God and he wants us to experience that joy. And that is part of why he prunes us so that we can experience it more fully. He does this out of love. And even one of the reasons why God wants us to be fruitful as individuals and as a church is to share God's love with those around us in the surrounding community and around the world. And so God is motivated out of love. And this love brings us many practical benefits in our lives. But we have to understand the main focus is not us. The main focus is on God. And that's why God is making us more fruitful ultimately for his glory. As Jesus says in verse 8, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. God's glory is the ultimate result, should be the ultimate result of everything that we do as individuals and as a church. And as I read this whole passage, it reminds me of what's known as the Westminster Shorter Catechism. This comes from a long time ago. Even the language is a bit archaic. But the first statement in that catechism says that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Well, now, if you, if, you try, if you kind of take away some of the archaic language, basically it says, you know what, the purpose of humanity, our purpose in life, is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And so what Jesus is calling us to is to stay attached to him. We'll talk more about that next week because that's the only way we bear fruit, but then to submit to God's transforming and pruning work in our lives so that we'll become more fruitful and in the process experience more joy 
So it does benefit us even as we glorify God because remember Jesus said, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you are a good and loving Father. And we do confess that there are times in our lives that we face things that we don't understand and that are hard and that may make us angry. But Lord, we want to trust you and I pray that you will give us teachable hearts to learn from you what we need to learn in order to grow. And Lord, we know that there are people even here, a part of the church family, who are facing challenges. I, I think of of uh, just Jimmy Fortunato's passing this last week, and we think of Michelle and the rest of the family as they grieve this loss, Lord. That is a legitimately hard, sad, mournful thing to go through. Lord, we pray that you will draw Michelle close to yourself and be comforting to her in this time. Lord, we think of Ross Balsam, who had a stroke a couple weeks ago and is improving, but very, very slowly. Lord, we pray for his continued improvement, that he will make a strong recovery. And we pray for Pat and for the rest of the family that you will be comforting and strengthening them as they walk through this very difficult journey. And Lord, also just as we think about this, this hurricane that's been battering the East Coast, and we know that that is very challenging for many people, I pray that, that for those who are experiencing that, that they will receive it as a, as a healthy pruning process and that you will work through your children and churches out there in that area and even around the country to help more and more people there turn to Christ through this ordeal. And Lord, for our lives, help us to turn fully to you and to experience your greater, greater, greater and greater fruitfulness in our lives as we trust you through the ups and through the downs. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.